T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Sucking on a chili dog, 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 sucking on a chili dog. Yeah, there it is, sucking on a chili dog, the internet sensation of 2021, which I didn't get. I did not get why this song was so funny. I mean, I thought it was funny. It's just compared to every single other million things on the internet, I was like, okay, it's funny. Why is everybody talking about this one? Then I heard the actual John Mellencamp song and realized that Sucking on a Chili Dog, I've heard this song a thousand times. Sucking on a Chili Dog is a line in that song. So he just took one line and just repeated that line over and over. And I don't know why. Now I think it's funny. So if you haven't heard it, there you go. I don't even know the guy's name. He's the Sucking on the Chili Dog guy from YouTube. So I'm Wiggins. This is Wiggins America. Thank you for being up early on a Saturday morning. My guess is that you did not choose this unless you downloaded the podcast, in which case, thank you very much for doing so. And if you're not going to be able to be here for the whole two hours of Wiggins America, I encourage you to download the podcast once we get done because little tease. So I'm going to do a big tease of the whole show here. One thing is that uh, I've got an article up. i got a couple articles this week up at WigginsAmerica.com, one of them about how many seats the GOP is going to gain in the Electoral College based on just population movement. So if all things stayed equal, and not counting the swing states because they're swing states for a reason, you don't know which way they're going to go, but the states that are reliably blue and reliably red, if you want to know how many seats the GOP is going to gain, Check out that article at my website, WigginsAmerica.com. That's also where you can contact me if you don't have a Twitter or a Facebook account and you hate those things as much as I do. I really love the for I love the idea of social media more than what it's become. Like if Facebook and Twitter had decided at some point, we're going to let free speech reign on our platforms, they would have been the greatest communication tool in the history of mankind. I mean, nowhere else can you hear directly from lawmakers who don't have to go through the media to talk directly to you in short, you know, digestible bites that are easy to consume. It really is a terrific format. I love these things. As much as we dog on social media, the original intent of them is fantastic, but what they've become is basically another tool to control people or manipulate people by, if not right, out. Out, outright censoring them, which some of them do, depending on the topic, then at least throttling them and ma- marginalizing people who they disagree with more than the people they agree with. It's pretty gross. 
And all that's to say that I am on them, <laughs> and you can contact me on there. But uh, I have begun gotten, getting messages at WigginsAmerica.com, and they're like little gifts because I didn't even know that I could get messages, and apparently the person who set up my website is uh, has got them coming to me. So you can talk with me there, and I'm always excited to get those. One of the things that I encourage you to do, aside from always getting my book, The Life of Human, which I mention as much as possible, is... If you have movies that you would consider to be last man on earth movies or last man on earth TV shows or episodes of TV shows that you want me to review, I will absolutely do that if you send me one. And I'll do that next week because that's a segment we do regularly here on Wiggins America. So uh, that is most of the tease. The beginning of next hour, again, if you're going to get the podcast, is a big story. Again, this one's also at my website if you want to read about it ahead of time. So if you're not going to be here at 7 or you can't get the podcast or whatever, <clears throat> you can go to WigginsAmerica.com and read about it right now. It's about how Florida is going to remove itself from OSHA. Therefore, thereby, they won't have vax mandates. If you're asking the same question as I am, it's, oh, you can do that? That's the question, right? And so we break that down, and we will continue to break that down um, here on this show. But in the meantime, let's get to the headline. Wiggins, America. News with an audience. Pulling from articles from Real Clear Politics and Zero Hedge, articles, uh, websites that I love, giving me the real story all the time. It says, last week, John Durham's grand jury issued its third criminal indictment in the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. And I do mean hoax, and they do mean hoax, because it absolutely is now. It's not just something that the president was saying was a hoax. It is provably an outright hoax and criminal. The person who was arrested was obscure, but the special counsel, John Durham, is methodically unraveling a big, big conspiracy that we all knew from the get-go was likely, at least possible if not likely, that Hillary Clinton and the Clinton campaign was behind this whole hoax. That's illegal. You can't do that. You can't make up information, feed it to the FBI, and to the media to win a political campaign. It's, it's highly immoral. Like We as Americans, regardless of party, you should be disgusted by that they're trying to manipulate you if you're a democrat voter i'm talking to you they're trying to lie to you to get you to believe what they want you to believe do you care about being lied to i do i don't care which side's doing it if they're lying to me i don't like it so point out lies the problem is as you know the mainstream media which has most of the media resources and most of the main money in media is at places like the Washington Post, New York Times, uh, historically CNN, although they're tanking bad. Fox News is really the only one that would be considered sort of mainstream that has any money behind it. Because most resources, say maybe the Wall Street Journal would be one that pushes back, but they're pretty neutral, as they should be. Fox News is even fairly neutral. They They at least display both sides of issues pretty often, even though they definitely lean right. But my point is, No matter who's doing the lying, it should be pointed out. But with all the resources in mainstream media behind Democrats, 
you know, 96% or it was either 94 or 96% of all journalists donated the Clinton campaign in 2016. How is that fair? And so stories like this happen because journalists don't care. They report this stuff as fact and they really don't mind if they get called on it later unless it becomes a criminal investigation, which this one is, but it's not going to entangle journalists. They're not going to care. Their credibility isn't even going to be hurt because nobody really even knows it's happening, on the left anyway. But thank you if you are independent or left-leaning and you're tuning in this morning to hear things like this because you know you're not going to hear them anywhere else. James Comey's FBI was either a willing participant in this scandal, which is criminal, or completely incompetent. The latest indictment also damages the mainstream media, as I was just talking about, and what Durham, Special Counsel Durham, did, and a few intrepid reporters, like us, <laughs> I don't know, can you include us in that? We've been saying this anyway. Uh, what we're uncovering is that <clears throat> the most ambitious and dirty trick pulled, this is according to Real Clear Politics and Zero Hedge, pulled in American election history is now being unraveled in a criminal manner. There are warrants out, and this guy, Dechenko, is the one who's been indicted now. And the question is, well, what, what happens now that he's indicted over this steel dossier from uh, the early part of the Trump campaign and the Clinton campaign? Is he going to start telling on everybody? That's the hope. I think it'll be a bit, you know, these things take a while to unravel. We're almost a year in. Actually, we may be past a year now from when uh, Bill Barr appointed John Durham to this special counsel. We're right around it. So it's taken this long to even come up with indictments at all. He had some very, very small ones back in maybe early September. Then at the end of October, these are bigger ones. So where do they go from here? Because all signs point to the fact that they are going to get bigger. What these warrants say, in essence, is that... Let me clarify here. The original warrants, so not Durham's warrants... We're saying that we need to, the FBI needs to spy on Carter Page, who is an aide to Trump, because we think he's an enemy agent. But at the time of those warrants, this is what the investigation is uncovering, the FBI already knew that that wasn't true. How did they know? They actually asked the CIA, is Carter Page a Russian agent? The CIA wrote back and said, no, he's not. He's one of ours. Not, he's one of our agents. He's one of our guys. He's, he's an American. He's not an agent. The CIA gave that information to FBI lawyer Kevin Kleinsmith, if you've heard that name. Kevin Kleinsmith then altered the message to say that Page was not with the CIA and was with Russia. So he changed the document. That's illegal, and that's why Durham has charged him. He was the first one. Now it's gone up the line to Dechenko. The story keeps getting worse. Even though that message was altered by Kleinsmith, his bosses at the FBI knew the real story. So it wasn't as if one guy changed things and then deceived everybody. Everybody above Kleinsmith at the FBI, which would include James Comey, knew that that information existed and probably that Kleinsmith had changed it. So this is getting pretty bad. This is involving, like, everybody at the top of the FBI at this point. So what's the big question is, of course, how is this going to affect Hillary Clinton? Because does it get that high? And then I'll add, which isn't in this article, but is being kind of asked, 
does this affect Barack Obama? He was president at the time this was happening, so this was his FBI. And clearly the FBI was working to elect a Democrat. The Democrat in the White House then knew nothing about that. It's unlikely. It's very, very unlikely. So how high up does this go? What it also shines a light on is the whole Mueller report that was going on for two years, which was used to basically handicap the administration of Trump. So it was originally designed to keep him from getting elected, but then once he was elected, it was used to knock him down over and over through investigations and through the media. What did Mueller know? Because he's high up, high up enough at the FBI. And you remember, they took a long time investigating this. They would have had all the information that Durham has now, which means that they're culpable in it too. They knew all this, and they sat on it, and they sat on it, and they sat on it, and then after two years, finally said, yeah, we don't really see anything here. So they were part of the whole thing. So what happens to Mueller? I don't know. I don't think anything's going to happen to Mueller. I hope something happens to the people way up at the FBI, people who we might not know their names other than Comey. But ultimately, if Hillary Clinton paid for this, which she did, how could she not get indicted in this? Guys, I think we're talking about bringing down a presidential candidate who tried to bring down a presidential candidate. Basically, everything they accused Trump of, this happens so often, everything they accuse you of being a conservative is what they actually are. They accuse Trump of being a Russian asset when actually it was Hillary Clinton that was working with these people, Dushenko and the Russian government. Who knows if Putin was involved? He probably was. Putin's involved in everything. But even if he wasn't, Hillary Clinton was working with Russian agents to set up something to make it look like Trump was working with Russian agents. That's the bottom line. So what happens, we'll see. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Wiggins, America. All right, I'm not terribly excited about giving you this update. And all of a sudden, also, I feel like I need coffee. How are you doing this morning? I was up late last night. <laughs> late for uh, a middle-aged man, I guess. Ah, gosh, I hate calling myself that, but I just turned 40. So I guess I'm there. And uh, we had soccer last night, and it was so cold and windy. What a weird weather week this has been. It was like 72 degrees on Monday and Tuesday, and then last night it was... It was 38 and very, very blustery. I think it probably got down to below freezing overnight. Anyway, long story short, I don't necessarily want to share this kind of news with you, 
But it's where we are. It's a very, very good example of where we are. It's a barometer for censorship in the United States. So when people talk about cancel culture, especially on the left, <laughs> the recipient of cancel culture and the controllers of the levers, of course, they're going to say, oh, cancel culture doesn't exist. Look at Dave Chappelle. He's successful. Well, <clears throat> that's good for him. Try telling Gina Carano that or any of the other number of people who've been canceled who you don't know their names because they said the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong place or whatever. And the less cancer, cancel culture there is, the better. Uh, but this doesn't really fall into that. It's more censorship. <clears throat> As you know, YouTube censors people like crazy. And I hate, I hate it. Twitter and Facebook I'll put up with for now, although I'm already on the edge there. I mean, part of it's, you know, we work in a public place and we, you know, we talk to people. So it's a, it's a way to reach out to people and for you to reach out to us. So I don't necessarily want to abandon those things, but YouTube has just pissed me off so bad. We stream live on the Annie Fry show, which I'm on daily on her YouTube channel. And these things all started back when those platforms were cool. They really were a, a platform for free speech. That's a ch completely changed, of course. And we got flagged for something that I either I said or Annie said during the segment. I talked more, so it was probably me, about Wisconsin's election, the Wisconsin Election Commission and the, the provable fraud that they committed. So I did a whole segment on that on the Annie Fry show. It may cost her her platform on the show. So I'm going to play back this this segment <clears throat> here so that you can hear for yourself what was said and what would have, quote unquote, broken the rules. Listen. Wow. Wiggins, America. We're talking about Racing County, Wisconsin, and the Wisconsin Election Commission. So this has been going on for about a week. This broke last week, but I've been kind of waiting because there's been a lot more to this story than just the initial. Um, but can I, I ask? Yeah, can go I ahead. Ask you, can I ask you a preface question before yes, you dive into this? You can. Is this 2020 election fraud? Yes. Is this new information? Yes. So this is not like you talking about something that happened in 2020 and someone's like sitting in their study at home with a cigar and a pipe and being like, back in 2020. And like, this is a new development in this process, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not repeating any information. This is new, a new development and it has to do with, with Wisconsin, which has been doing mm -hmm. some audits, but it's actually not even related to that. Okay. Let's hear it. So this is the Wisconsin Election Commission. Uh, they have now, it's been determined without a shadow of a doubt, they illegally directed municipalities across the entire state of Wisconsin. So this affects the whole state not to use what's called the special voting deputy process for nursing home patients or service residents in care facilities of any kind. So <clears throat> let me break down what that means. <clears throat> so if you have somebody in a nursing home Normally, the process in Wisconsin is that you have a special voting deputy that is a, a nonpartisan person that goes in as kind of a third party to witness that person casting their vote with their municipality, whether that be vote in by mail, you know, whatever it is, there's a third party person there to make sure that you don't have somebody from the city going in and just saying, oh, you want to vote for Biden? Okay, I'm just going to mark it for Biden and then walking away. 
That is exactly what happened throughout the entire state of Wisconsin in 2020, and it was directed to happen by the Wisconsin Election Commission to everybody in the state. That is highly, highly illegal. And the reason why this is such a big deal is because they say this could have affected up to 50,000 to 100,000 votes. They don't know. I don't know which way they would have gone if that many of them would have been fraudulent. But all of them were without this special voting deputy there. So there's no way to determine if this is actually the votes that were trying to be cast in the nursing homes. The development is Racine County, Wisconsin, which on a map, if you want to know where that is, remember Kenosha and all the news that was happening there over the summer, which is right above Chicago, like right above the Illinois line there, right between there and Milwaukee. It's is, on the water. It's, it's on the water. That's right. It's, it's right between Milwaukee and the, the Illinois border is Racine County. So it's, it's technically a suburb of Milwaukee, but it's actually close enough to Chicago to almost be a suburb of, of Chicago, like Kenosha kind of is almost. Um, so that's where this is. The, the, the sheriff of Racine County has come out and give a press, pre, given a press release and said this is completely illegal and they are going to be looking at criminal charges hmm. for the people who ran this thing, in at least in their county. So because the Wisconsin Election Commission is bigger than just Racine County, this is becoming a bigger story, a statewide story. And so you have a lot of people saying, well, this could, you know, I mean, the far end would say this could invalidate the election, but we don't know what's going to happen because it took one sheriff saying we've, and there's the receipts. That's the thing about this. It's not up to question. There is a hundred percent proof that the WEC, the Wisconsin Election Commission, instructed people across the state to break the law, and they knew they were breaking the law, and they said, do it anyway. Like, there is, it is cut and dry, no doubt that they were doing this fraudulently. Fraud. It's, this is the definition yes. of fraud. Not accidental, yes. not, not uh, circumstantial that something aligned with something else. Purposeful fraud. Right. The question, of course, will become, well, how many of these votes were against the person's wishes? How to find that out? I don't know that we will know, but Wisconsin, as you probably know, was won by Biden by about 20,000 votes. Yeah, well, if, it was super close. Exactly. I mean, if, if, if there were, you know, initially when people were like Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin was one of those states. And if and if there was something that was indicated that was a consistency between any of those states, Wisconsin would have been looked at, too. Yes. In, in the same capacity. Yeah, I mean, those three states right there, Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia, there's roughly about 40,000 to 45,000 votes that, that decided the presidential election right there with those three states. Pennsylvania is also included in those, but it was a little bit wider margin. But those three states, very, very close. And so you, when you hear something like this, there starts to be calls of, decertification we get into all these constitutional issues well what does that even mean because if people take back their votes and all this stuff so i don't actually know where all this goes but this is apparently and i wanted to report on this particular issue because since this happened which was last week the sheriff had this press conference last week 75 minutes he outlined it it was really incredible the detail that he went into this is i hesitate to use the term tip of the iceberg stuff but since he's started to press on this, and the rest of the state is too, and now the legislature's getting involved, 
there's other little things that are starting to leak out that people are saying, yeah, and there's also this. Yes, and there's also this. And the Republican Party of Wisconsin is doing investigations, and they're starting to put little things out. Some of this I haven't confirmed yet, and so I don't want to report on it yet, but this Racing County, Wisconsin stuff is 100% true. It is a huge problem, and we're only beginning to see this. We're going to see this continue in the weeks to come. Where it goes, I don't know, but it's a big deal. Wiggins, America. Can you believe that? So that was from uh, November 2nd. It got flagged probably because the words election and fraud went together and their algorithm picked it up and somebody grabbed it and said, you can't talk about election fraud. But they don't care what it actually says. They're censoring any dissent. I even said in that clip, we don't know what this means. You know, there are things that I I refrained from reporting on some things because I hadn't verified them. Everything in that report was verified by multiple news outlets. Yet, YouTube doesn't like the discussion. They don't want you to discuss the possibility that people created votes. They don't want you to, to look behind the curtain. And they suck. Stick around. Great interview coming up next. Stick around because up next, an interview with a guy who is going to break down. He's a pollster and he's an election specialist. He's going to break down everything that happened in Virginia, New Jersey, and beyond what it means for 2022. America. Women's America, 97.1 FM Talk. It's been not quite two weeks since the Virginia and New Jersey and other elections, but those are the two marquee elections that we were watching in what was an off year. this I mean, this is an off year of off years. The fact that the governor's race happens in two states like New Jersey and Virginia in a non-presidential, non-midterm year is just weird. But that is the case, and there were some other special elections too, and so we've broken down a little bit about what those look like, but I had a chance to talk to Zach Moyle. He is a political strategist and a pollster, and he's very, very good at mixing those things together. And so I thought, well, let's let's have him on this show. Let's let's put that interview together and and make it happen here. So let's start with this question, Zach. What of CRT? How big of an impact did that have on specifically the Virginia elections? We'll start there. We'll go from there. Oh, it's an incredibly large factor, and it goes back to, again, you know, each party's ability to talk about the issues that matter most to voters. And this is what we tend to do. We tend to get, you know, trapped in a bubble, and in that bubble, we tend to talk about, you know, national issues where we get carried away with things that don't necessarily matter to everyday individuals. Sometimes that can be beneficial because it's a narrative that you're driving, you're advancing, that that ignites people, and sometimes it can be detrimental because people will tune out and say, hey, I'm not being listened to. And this is an overriding theme. Again, we didn't just see this in Virginia. We saw nationally where across the board, uh, you know, more conservative uh, candidates were winning all kinds of local elections, not national elections, elections, but no local elections. They were winning school board races, uh, mayor races, city council races, different aspects like that. And the reason why was uh, had everything to do with, again, local issues. And these are issues that matter to everyday people. Uh, They matter to stay-at-home moms. They matter to 
um, you know, parents who are working. You know, they matter to people who care about their future in terms of what their children are being invested in. At the end of the day, there's one uh, issue that always matters to voters everywhere across everywhere on the planet. And that is how does this affect my ability to do the things that I want to do? And that's something that we call individual liberties, individual freedoms. And it's something that Republicans have tapped into on a national level. And it's something that Democrats have, you know, lost sight of in this mass election. At the end of the day, we can all agree that I want to be able to run my home and do the things in my home the way that I would like to. And what we saw was a lot of infringement placed on that, especially parents and at local levels, not just national levels. And they essentially fought back and said, you know what, I want to be able to parent my children the way that I want to. I want to be able to do the things that I want to, and I'm concerned about my ability to do that moving forward. That is a major theme in this election, and it all boils back to something that voters actually want to talk about and are concerned about, which is the term individual liberties and the term individual freedoms. And what we saw is parents grasping those straws and running within this election cycle, and it made a huge difference in this election. No question. We're speaking with Zach Moyle. He's a pollster, has been for a couple decades. Zach, Ryan's got some questions for you. Ryan Wiggins, it's, I found out this morning, big a big poll geek, right, Brian? Oh, my gosh, You're, yeah, for a long, long time. So well, Let's I was, geek out, Ryan. Here we go. Let's do this. Ryan's okay. into it. Yeah. All right, yeah, let's go, because I want to know, beyond Virginia, including New Jersey and even other races across the country, what kind of big-picture trends did you see? Who was moving away from Democrats who had been there either in 2020 or before who now were voting for Republicans, or were they just staying home? Yeah, that's an absolute great question. So let's go over the basics. You know, a couple basics of traditional historical mainline voting trends and mainline polling. The first is that Republicans tend to do better in off-year elections. Democrats tend to do better in presidential elections. Uh, there is a universal singular focus from the top of the ticket on down, and Republicans have always traditionally been more active at a local level. So as a political consultant, as a pollster, I have to take that into account in an off-year election versus a presidential election. And the bottom line is Republicans have elevated turnout in off-year elections. Democrats have elevated turnout in on-year elections. So there's going to be an element here where the table is going to set better for Republicans in a non-presidential year. The second thing that you have is based on just historical trends, which is that people tend to hedge their bets. So in an off-year election, uh, people are generally going to vote against rather than for the party that they just elected, regardless of that party's approval rating. They want to hedge their bets. So you have a lot of Democrats or people who voted for Biden who are naturally going to vote differently in the off-year election because they're doing just that. They don't want one party controlling everything. They want to hedge their bets. They want to have some you know, diversity as far as the thought process goes. So those two things historically are two things that we see that we knew were coming. We already knew it was going to be inevitably a better election for Republicans across the board uh, following a presidential year. The difference here is how big that trend was and how massively it changed. You're talking about a state like Virginia, again, that Trump lost by double digits, that now Republicans are winning, you know, uh, considerably. That's a double-digit flip. New Jersey is a double-digit flip, and you have a wave across the election. So that itself signals something greater than we would traditionally see historically. So the short version and answer to your question is that we would expect Republicans to naturally gain. We wouldn't expect to see it on this large of a level that we just saw. So uh, a lot of questions for you that I want to ask. So let, me, <laughs> sure. let me start with, um, so when people, was the turnout better this year 
than it would have been in 2020. If this same election were happening in 2020, would the turnout have been better? And did that favor Republicans because turnout was low? Or was turnout about the same and that many people switched to voting for Republicans over Democrats? The turnout benefited Republicans. Um, It was always likely going to benefit Republicans, as it always does in an off-year election. The question, again, is how much. It, It is not enough to take a state that you lost by double digits and flip it to a state uh, that is now in your favor. It is generally something that is able to flip a state by, let's say, three points, maybe four points, maybe five points, but double digits, absolutely not. So although turnout definitely favored Republicans, uh, it doesn't bring it to the point and the level that we saw. Now, when we talk about the voting electorate, one of the most fascinating things happening right now, and I think this might speak to your kind of larger, greater question, except I believe what you're asking me is, what is the voting electorate itself doing and moving forward? Who does that favor? And this is where it gets really interesting. In 2020, if I look at the statistics, Democrats actually gained uh, some of the most historic advantages that they have in recent memory with the most traditional voting electorate, which is white voters. Democrats were gaining nationally somewhere between two and five points with what you know, we refer to as white college-educated voters. They were gaining with that demographic, something that Republicans, you know, for whatever the speculation is, has benefited from that every year. The difference was in 2020, we have statistically the most diverse electorate ever. Uh, what pollsters refer to as voters of color, meaning uh, you know, Hispanic and African-American and all these you know, non-white voters, uh, makes up a larger chunk of the voting electorate uh, than it ever has before. Um, it was record turnout for 2020, uh, and it was a larger percentage than it ever has been. So naturally, you would assume that that piece, this rapidly diversifying electorate and the largest ever, would benefit Democrats based on history. But that, that much like white voters trending towards Democrats, that was not the case with this diversifying electorate. Uh, Joe Biden did not actually make gains with those voters um, that you would have thought. And actually, Trump made historic gains gains with Hispanic voters and what we would label voters of color in general. Um, And so what you see here is this traditional, you know, heavy Republican block of voters, you know, that they would count on actually trying to Democrat. Well, this traditional demographic that, you know, Democrats tend to cater to and do well with actually trended Republican. And both of those two statistics carried over in these off-year elections. So what you have is the most diversified electorate ever, and that diversified electorate is actually, if we look into the future, favors Republicans based on statistically the way it's going, which is very, very interesting. So we're in St. Louis, obviously, but we, we straddle the line between Missouri and Illinois. I'm, I'm looking at what just happened in Virginia and New Jersey, and I'm wondering how that plays out next year in the midterms in 2022, especially locally. You know, I don't know if you have any actual polling data for us here, but at least trend-wise, what does it mean for a red state like Missouri and then Illinois? You know, we've had a Republican governor recently in Bruce Rauner. So does a double-digit swing in a couple of states, blue states like that, what does that look like for a state like Illinois in 2022? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think what it means is more is less at a statewide level and more about, you know, the uh, the competitive races within that state. And this is something that, you know, each battleground state is differently, but also each congressional district is differently, uh, you know, across the board. You know, the first and easiest lesson here is at a local level, you know, your school board candidates, you know, your 
uh, every every candidate all the way down, your mayor, your city council, those races, there is a wave here uh, that can transform politics at a local level. So it is more about the local level, again, than it is at that massive state level. You know, the congressional district that you weren't sure, you know, how competitive it was is now competitive. You know, the Democrat district you thought was safe is now less safe. But as far as how the states transition at a whole, we have to take it back to this is not people are trending generically Republican. This is a thought process. Right now, Republicans are focused on the issues that matter most to voters at the end of the day, which are things like the economy, which is, uh, are things like parental rights, which are things like individual freedoms. That's their focus. Democrats are battling with the Green New Deal and an infrastructure bill and a bunch of more divisive issues that are less unifying. So right now, Republicans, more so than do they have control of the voter, they have control of the correct issues. So the question is, in a year, will that change? In four years, will that change? Will Democrats change course? Will Republicans change course? But right now, we have to look at this less as if you know, the country is getting more Republican and people are going Republican, and more like currently as structured right now, Republicans are on the right side of the, of the uh, winning issues currently. Zach, as far as being a pollster, because you're also a political strategist, but uh, we've been kicking around numbers here, and you know, we, we don't know, but we're asking you to predict the future, too. We're going to put you on the spot. Over under on 50 seats in the U.S. House next year. It's going to be right at that line. All I mean, right, the bottom good. line is, you know, Republicans, I think everyone expects that Republicans will take back the House, and I think that it will be a significant margin. I don't think that you can avoid that. The only thing that's going to throw a wrench into those plans is redistricting. You know, depending on who has control of redistricting in these states is huge right now. You know, gerrymandering, whether on the Republican side of things or the Democrat side of things, is absolutely gigantic. So here's what you're going to see nationally. In these states, you're going to see people who control those states trying to protect those seats, and that's going to massively affect how many seats we're able to win back more than the national electorate will itself. Zach Moyle, political strategist and pollster, appreciate your time. Hope to have you back to some really, really good discussion there, and especially as we move into the midterms of 2022. Get your prediction on what things, what what's going to happen, what's going to move the electorate, and in what direction. I would have to think that we're looking at a pretty good year coming ahead for Republicans. So it's about staving off the damage between now and then, and keep fighting back on things that are unconstitutional and unprecedented, and uh, hope for the best. That's where we're at here in. 2021 here at the end of the year in Wiggins, America. Thanks for tuning in. More ahead. Stick around for the next hour. We've got some great topics coming up. (laughs) I won't tease it too much. Uh, We've got some real topics that we're going to hit, but also we're going to talk a little bit about TV show theme songs and a scandal that I've uncovered regarding a TV show theme song that is one of my favorites. Uh, But also, get this, Florida is just going to decide to remove itself from OSHA so it doesn't have to abide by the rules. I didn't know you could do that, but apparently they're going to do it. Let's talk about that next as we begin the next hour on Wiggins America. Get more at 971talk.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.